Business School. Hi there, folks, and welcome. This is the Business School podcast, where you'll learn about emerging trends in business, the kind of things that you may not find in a textbook. My name is Daryl Pereira. I'm a senior brand and content strategist here at IBM. Really happy today to be joined by Amanda Herter, who's going to take us through an area which is quite close to me, which is around this idea of content marketing, content development, and especially what we can do now with uh, some of the emerging trends in AI. But before we get there, I'll turn it over to Amanda. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today? Thank you, Daryl, for having me. I'm so excited. So I'm Amanda Hurt. I am a design principal and content design director here at IBM. I'm actually within our IX consulting group, which just means that we focus on customer transformation work for brands and other clients. So we're in the consulting wing. My background is aligning with your audience. I assume I graduated from Fisher College of Business at Ohio State. So I have a business marketing background, but I always knew that I wanted to do something in the creative field. So out of college, I tried to find ways that I could merge that business marketing and some of that strategic insight that you get with creativity. And that manifested in my first position in the creative field as a copywriter. So I started out at traditional agencies and worked on, oh my gosh, this is dating, things like newspaper advertisements and radio scripts and traditional campaigns for brands. And then um, my career evolved. I kind of moved up into a creative director role in digital marketing firms. So then focused a bit more on content creation for e-commerce and social media and all of the different touch points that surround the decision-making effort today of someone on the brand side. And mostly my background was in retail at this point. So kind of a more traditional creative path and then started to really draw more upon the business background that I had acquired when I became part of IBM. So when I joined IBM, my eyes were kind of opened as to the opportunity that we had in front of us to use all kinds of different technology to further what we were doing in the copy and content space. And that's kind of where you'll hear my narrative start to shift from copy and copywriting into content and content strategy and content design. And content means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it kind of opens the aperture a bit more on what actually happened with my career movement and started to encompass more than just the actual writing and authoring and creation of ideas into the application or the acceleration of how we can think about content for brands, clients, and then even the types of things that we do as content creators or as writers or as content strategists, how that can even be affected by technology and our personal use. I love that idea that you've come from both having a background, you've got the business side, but then you also bring in this creative craft driven side of of content creation and writing. Yeah. And I I think both are really important. I talk to a lot of business students who kind of are interested in more of that, you know, marketing or creative insight driven field, but they're, you know, obviously like me, I was in business school. I didn't go to portfolio school or art school 
to be formally trained in, in creative concepting, but there's a lot to draw on from the business side. And if you're innately creative and you like creative problem solving and trying to think of new ways to come at different situations or bring new solutions, then there's definitely opportunity to merge those things in a career or extracurriculars or whatever it is that you're looking to do. I think that's a great message to get out there. And in terms of your, say like your day-to-day, as you say, content can mean many things to many people. In terms of how you approach it and then the kind of projects that you work on, who you're working with, both from, say, from the IBM IX side, as well as then, for instance, on the client side, what are the kind of projects that you're involved with? It kind of spans a, a wide range. And the way that I kind of like to think about it, because like I said, you can say content and someone will interpret that based on kind of where they sit or what their job is and what they they need to do with said content. But thinking through all the different facets and what kind of projects that leads to and what kind of team members I would work with, if you picture a four quadrant with like an XY axis, and I have a, a little drawing that I can share if that's helpful for anyone who is more visually inclined like I am. But if you think about, you can be on like a couple ends of these spectrums as a content professional. So one I have is strategy to implementation. That's sort of one A to B line and then creative to more technical. And so if you cross those things together, I start to think about the different types of work that happens in those four quadrants. So for example, let's take the bucket of strategy and creative. So here are types of projects that I've worked on would be creative idea development, rebrands or repositioning for different brands, storytelling when it comes to business presentations or trying to articulate a strategy to different audiences within a business. If you're trying to create change, if you're trying to create adoption of a new concept for your team or your trial, it kind of depends on what the goal is, but that's where that big storytelling bucket comes. And then brand positioning. You know, sometimes some of my projects have been around a brand who has acquired some sub-brands and they're trying to figure out how those fit into the brand portfolio and how do we adjust our story so that we can speak to the right audiences at the right times. But hey, now we have this new set of offerings or this new set of products that we want to make feel like it's part of our brand family. So that's kind of that creative strategic realm. And there you partner a lot with other strategists, other creative, like-minded people, a lot of design, hands-on designers or UX designers and things like that. And so that's probably like the area where I, I started more or less. And then the other side of creative would be kind of that creative and implementation. So this is a little bit more of the strategy set and now you're activating against that. So campaign activation. So here's the, the brief and now we need to create all of the different pieces of collateral that's going to promote this idea, the social posts, the web copy, the scripts, the talking points for sales, all of the things that you need to actually put hands on keyboard and do. Then when I move to kind of the other two sides of this hypothetical quadrant, I have technical and implementation. And so that's sort of the total opposite. And I am a bit less on the the technical implementation side, but I have lots of people on my team who are really, really good at, at this area. And so I say that on my team, I say we have majors and minors. So someone could have a major in one quadrant and a minor in another, or they want to be learning about another area of content. And I think that's great because it just makes you a more well-rounded content talent. 
But when I think of technical and implementation, I think of like content management systems. So how do you think about setting up a content management system for you know web purposes to make it easy to author content? Or maybe you're actually authoring content for a brand or for a client or for yourself. Projects like training guides or SEO guides or SEO audits, thinking about search engine optimization for different brands for different purposes. So a little bit more of a, a technical mindset on how that comes to life. And then there's also strategy and technical. So that is more of the content modeling where you're kind of looking across, okay, here is a brand who is getting ready to shift their website from platform A to platform B. And they've accumulated so much content over the course of this website being live that we need to take a look and say, does all of this come with us? Does some of it stay behind? How do we adapt what's there to fit the new strategy so that when we're moving everything over to the new content management system and the new site, you're optimizing at the same time. You're telling a better story. You're activating the strategy a little bit better. And so that's a little bit of that technical world plus the strategic world. So long-winded answer, but there's several different things that you can kind of do in content, which is why I think it's such an exciting field. And it's definitely fluid. I would say I don't think that you have to feel stuck if you start in one area and then want to kind of explore in another. So that's sort of my philosophy and and how I think about it for myself, but also for career growth for team members. That's great. And especially important. I know we'll we'll get on to we'll talk a little bit more about skills, I think, later. But that's great setup. And and like you're saying there, content can go in so many different directions. I think it's great that you've got this framework at which you can help to visualize and to help, you know, to plot your own path, like you're saying, and to find out where you can provide the most value. Let's switch gears a little bit now. Let's talk a little uh, in terms of what you see in terms of the evolution of content development. And, you know, you talk about how you, your own personal evolution went from copywriting to working in this content space. What would be your observations in terms of, especially, you know, the content that's required and the content, how content is used, especially in the business context? How, how have you seen that change? And, and what, what, you know, is there any kind of, if you want to, take that and do any kind of crystal ball, you know, gazing into the future as well, where we might be headed, but, but really interested to hear your perspective in terms of the evolution of content development. What I've seen is a demand for quantity because a lot of brands, again, I keep talking about brands and clients because I sit in the consulting space, but what I've seen is as brands and companies try to get more tailored in their messaging or try to do more personalized experiences, you have to have the content to fuel that air quotes machine, or you're not going to get the return on the other side. Also, this kind of goes back to talking about how technology has influenced content so much and continues to, which I know we'll talk more about, but thinking through different platforms that brands are interested in, if they're thinking about technology enablers like something like Salesforce or Adobe Experience Manager, the the things that give you the levers to pull so that you can personalize and tailor and kind of create that seamless journey that makes the reader feel like they're in a relationship with that brand or whomever is publishing that content is very cool and very interesting. And I'm not going to pretend to understand the ins and outs of those platforms. But what I have noticed is sometimes the platforms themselves feel like magic bullets for brands or clients. And 
you can't really realize the value of those amazing pieces of technology and platforms if you're not putting in the right types of content or you're not loading it with the right insights about the audience so that you can kind of pair audience A and audience B with the correct content or product information or reviews or images, videos that's going to appeal to the insights that we have about that audience. And so I've just seen technology really increase the demand for the amount of content that brands need. And so naturally, next, they're trying to figure out, how do I create that faster? You know, there's this model that I think most, including myself, are used to, where you have different teams that are specialized in different areas of the content creation process, and they come together as one and create this workflow that results in content being published on insert, you know, your channel of choice here. But now I am seeing brands and companies think about, well, how can we focus efforts on the more high value tasks or the more complex pieces of content or creative or or thinking that needs to be done? And what are some of the smaller quick turn needs that like versioning of, you know, banner ads, for example, that takes a significant amount of time, but we think that there might be a better way to start to think about that type of tier of content versus some higher level, more value add tiers of content. So thinking through how it gets done is something that is is really interesting to me as well and, and where you kind of focus the effort and what, what the teams look like for that. Does that answer your question? It does. And uh, it leads to about 50 different follow-up questions. <laughs> Let's, let me try and focus on one. In terms of that idea that, especially with technology, you know, you to pick one area like personalization, where you say that, you know, if you're writing for, you may have some content, let's say, like you said, let's use the example, use like a banner ad, for instance, where you've got a product, you've got your offering, you create a banner ad, you think, okay, you put that in market, Whatever channel that could be showing up on third-party websites, it could be in social media, you're getting that traffic coming back to you. But now we're getting into this world where what if you can make that banner ad more engaging for different audience types or you know, get down to the individual, then you end up having to create different versions of that banner ad to serve those different audience types. And obviously then you need to come in and think about, okay, well, if I'm writing this for a group A versus group B, what is the difference there? And and when you start getting into group C, D, F, G, H, I, you know, that's where you're saying that becomes, that's where we start seeing this proliferation in content that's required and content professionals that can understand how to engage each of those different audiences. How is that then in terms of, this is where maybe we can start getting into, I don't want to talk about AI and that piece of it. It's interesting because it feels like there is, especially given your background, there's a business case, right, for we could, in theory, for any given, say, a product or an offering, could get down to almost having content that's for every single user because each of us is different as a human. Obviously, there's probably a barrier that you're going to hit at a point at which the cost of producing something for every individual is going to get to a point at which then the cost of production is going to make it so that you know that that's going to be incurred by the product, or, you know, by the business. You're going to get to a point at which you just can't go there. Is that something that you think about those kind of calculations when it comes down to how much content should we produce? Because each piece of content takes an hour of time and then start, you know, in terms of then some of the newer tools available, how that might start to disrupt that math and how we do that calculation. 
Yes. Well, well said. That's exactly, that's exactly it. So looking at what are those higher value tasks or can you define the playbook? Can you define the insights for that set of audiences, A through D or whatever it is, and then have the levers that are going to appeal to them. And then that's sort of your high level strategy that you can put into place and create some examples of this is what I mean when I say this is a good piece of content for this audience in this channel, because you also have to think about channel best practices. And it's very time consuming to think about doing that for maybe all of the different segments that a business might have. And so that's really where the conversation starts to (laughs) pick up the keyword of the year AI. (laughs) And it's really just beginning. So I I hesitate to say automation, like we're not really automating the development of content, but there has been a lot of demand, interesting questions from brands that I work with in the marketing and content creation space around AI. So, you know, what things like, it's very new still. So what is possible? I've seen that this is possible, but I have these issues with it because I'm an enterprise level brand and we have specific security guidelines we need to adhere to. We need to make sure that it sounds like us. We don't want it to just generate any sort of messaging that then anyone could use. Like, how do we really think about activating AI in a way that adds value, but also doesn't degrade our message and what we're putting out into the the marketplace? And so what I think is so very interesting about thinking through using AI for personalization and all kinds of different iterations in the content space is that, and you kind of alluded to this in your lead up here, but using AI for content demands a lot of the same talent and skills that content folks already have today, which is why I think it's so exciting because I start to work on some of these projects and research more, something new comes out every five seconds, it seems like these days, but just really thinking about, okay, well, these these models that fuel like Gen AI really don't understand content and the correlations between them. So it's thinking about how the things that we do as content professionals day to day right now, very similar actions and ways of thinking and methodologies go into thinking how to teach a large language model what I mean when I say persona A has insight, this insight around um, a pain point, and this is the product that's going to solve that with these kind of benefits around it. So just how you would think about crafting a message naturally as a, a content creator or writer or human today, you're just kind of breaking that down and thinking through those connection points and using your strategic knowledge and kind of your your background and content, but it's in service now to AI and large language models versus documentation that is going into playbooks or, you know, kind of helping teams work on the same page. And so a lot of it already exists, which is great. And then some of it, you know, needs to be crystallized a bit more because like I said, it's a machine, you know, we're teaching not programming per se. And so I think that's why it's it's exciting to me because a lot of the skills that specifically I think about my team when when I'm talking to you today, but I think about a lot of those being repurposed in service to AI projects instead of traditional projects. As you're talking, it makes, it makes me think if this would work as an analogy of, I think when I started my career in the graphic design space and I will date myself, it was a time where 
to work in that space, you had to prove yourself by the degree to which you could pick up a pen and a paper and you could draw and you could express yourself visually with a pen and a paper. You know, very quickly over time, you know, there was the emergence largely in the professional space of the Adobe suite of products, but whether it's Illustrator, Photoshop, these kind of tools that became then more important over time that you knew how to best use these tools and make these tools so that you could produce work that would be standout and that could differentiate a brand, you know, take visual identity, take all those aspects and still be able to produce something on the back of it. Would you say it feels like what you're saying is somewhat similar, even though the work of graphic designers that's largely done today is quite different and a lot of graphic designers don't need to have fine penmanship skills to be able to practice their craft. But at the same time, they start, craft is still very necessary and you need to have a good visual art. You need to understand certain things when you're working in that space. Would you say that's kind of a similar to, as it relates to content and the use of generative AI tools? Yeah, I think that's a really great comparison that I hadn't really thought about kind of the design tools changing in a similar way. In content, I guess we've been kind of going strong with some of our same tools for a, a little while now. And so this is the AI is kind of a big shakeup. But when I think about it, humans are good at intuition, like gut instinct, emotional IQ, creativity, and then machines are good at math. And so as we get new tools, uh, specifically, I'm thinking about AI. It's a great partnership between those two things. And that's why I am still a firm believer that both are needed, kind of that human creativity, strategic gut instinct, and then the probability or picking up on repetition or analyzing lots of data really quickly by machines. When we talk about AI, I think is, is kind of that the power is in both of those things. And there's also kind of two ways that you could Think about those tools, like think about AI progressing content professionals. And one is more of like what you were just describing. It's AI for content. So allowing teams to accelerate what they do. So like you were talking about graphic design and pen and paper, how fast you could like get your idea across. Uh, And then along comes Photoshop or Illustrator. And now suddenly you just have to like learn a new skill and you can do it a lot faster. So very similar Now, you know, I can start with an outline versus a blank page. I can get some ideas for persona creation based on some inputs that I already have or insights I already know. You could start the bones of a user journey just with a couple friction points and talking about the industry that you're in. And then, of course, you you tweak that from there and layer in the pertinent information. And you can do research really quickly. So I like to take a lot of different documents and ask for key insights or key learnings from those. So I can skim really quickly. Of course, you do have to be a little bit careful uh, that you know where that is coming from, but more of the summarization factor, like, you know, summarize this for me in X amount of, of bullets is really nice if you're trying to learn a new industry, if you're trying to learn a new concept. So that's how to think about it kind of accelerating us. And then I think there's also the flip side where you have content for AI. And that's more about us accelerating AI. So that's opening up new ways to apply content skills, content strategy, and put content talent in demand when it comes to servicing AI, teaching AI, course correcting AI. And I think that's where, like you mentioned, yes, there is a learning curve. There are, these are new tools. These are new things that we need to kind of understand how they work at a base level. 
but I think it's exciting to learn new things. And this is one that I think has infinite opportunities and it's just starting to scratch the surface of what content can do for AI. I love that. And the, the idea of what you said, what, you know, what AI can do for content and what content can do for AI, those two sides to it. Uh, let's talk a minute about the tools. For IBM, we do have the What's the Next suite, which is our generative AI suite. Is that something that you're implementing? Is that something that you're using on the projects you work with? Um, you know, what's, what's your observations about using tools like that within the enterprise? You know, I know most, many of us are familiar with these tools, generative AI tools, especially potentially more in the, you know, using it for our own personal needs. But when it comes to the enterprise and when it comes to use of generative AI in the enterprise, what's been your perspective and learnings there? When it comes to Watson X and that suite that we have access to at IBM and for our clients, the biggest thing there is when we're using and experimenting with different models, it is in a safe space in the cloud. So when we are talking about, like when I'm talking about persona creation or I'm talking about journey creation, kind of helping get past that blank page to help a content professional we're doing that in a tightly controlled area that is not open. So this information is not going back out into the greater public. The brand information is safe. The client information is safe and it is controlled. And I think that is one of the biggest things and key learnings if you're just starting to get into playing around with AI or you're probably using OpenAI, ChatGPT. Just know that the the public versions of those, what you are putting in there is being captured and could be <laughs> resurfaced at another time by somebody else. So I think that's important to think about from a secure angle. And that's why so many of the projects that I'm working on, we do leverage that Watson X capability so we can compare different models and see what's working better in a safe space. And then we can start to think about what kind of strategic documents, brand documents, pending what the use case is, you know, what we're trying to create or what we're trying to accelerate, we can test and learn really quickly with what's working and what isn't working or thinking about prompt engineering, which is something that everyone is is talking about and trying, you know, what's the, the magic bullet for this use case versus that use case, because it can be very different. And so having access to that Watson X suite, we even have models that are more IBM owned where we can explain exactly how they were trained, what went into it. So we have kind of that ethical rationale and explainability that I think is so important when we think about AI, because we need to have an element of transparency and in what we're doing and then how that result is given. It's really important to be able to explain how that happened and where it came from. Like you're saying, yeah, that idea of in the enterprise space to have that working effectively in a system that is enclosed and dedicated to that particular enterprise is key. And then that's something that you can leverage through tools like Watson X. Let's talk a little bit then on the skills side. I love this statement that you have that you say that AI is happening for us, not to us. And I feel like you kind of touched on that, but can you be a little bit more explicit? How does that come to life for you? And what, what do you really mean there? The AI for us and content for AI touched a bit on that. But in the beginning of ChatGPT, kind of democratizing this idea of how everyday regular people can start to use Gen AI, of course, there's always fear around change. And especially in fields like content creation, when, you know, hello, this ChatGPT machine is creating words. And my job is also creating words. So trying to rationalize this. I think gut reaction and gut instinct is, is this a replacement? Is this tool as like an actual replacement for people? And through 
my hands-on experience and the research, like I said, you know, computers are good at math, machines are good at math, and Gen AI is really good at predicting, but it's predicting patterns. It's predicting, you know, my phrasing is different than your phrasing. And so if we talk to it enough, it can probably pick up the patterns in our, our words and our voices and our, the way that we use language. But that takes a lot of data. And that's something that doesn't happen overnight when we talk back to, you know, the tailoring of messages for different brand audiences and different personas. So I think that skill-wise, it's something to not be afraid of, but to harness because I do believe it's happening for us, not to us. And that's kind of what I mean by that statement is kind of take it and mold it and understand the limitations because there are limitations and that a human needs to come in and kind of help finesse. So I think there's a certain amount of art and science that comes together skill-wise when we think about this emerging field. One really interesting example is right now I'm working hand-in-hand with data scientists. And as a content creator, I've never worked with a data scientist before. You know, they've always been this very smart, intelligent group that kind of sits over here and does magical things with, with data from our clients. But I have not ever had work sessions with data scientists. And so now we're sitting together and they are saying, okay, well, I don't understand this marketing use case or these artifacts or these strategic frameworks. So I don't know how to judge what's coming out of the model. Is that good or bad content-wise? And so then you have people like us on the, on the other side of the table. We speak different languages, but we're trying to like break that down and communicate in like the most purest form so that we understand this is, this is typically how we do this job. And then you are inputting a set of data into the model and getting this result out. And here's why that's good or that's bad. So it's almost like you're adding an additional like side to your brain and trying to figure out not only how to articulate like what you do for a profession every day and how you create this documentation or how you, you just instinctively you like know that that's good. And now you have to really kind of peel the onion back and go to the purest form of like, okay, now why is that good? Because I have to explain why it's good. And it's a little bit of a mind bend, but that's, I think that's a skill that we're going to have to to learn to kind of articulate and document the way that we do make these connections that are creative or that are intuitive. And sometimes that's the answer. Sometimes it's just, well, it's it's just the way that I put things together in my brain. It's the creativity. And you can edit the output from a Gen AI tool. But then other times you could really help optimize what comes out based on the way that you're articulating, you know, how a human really thinks about creating content. So it's adding more science than I've ever added before to my repertoire as far as thinking about unstructured data and how I inherently can like make correlations, but now I need to explain that. That's fascinating because I know even what you're saying there, you know, we see it in business, right? Where the creatives are kind of kept at one level, the data science at the other. You know, you could argue maybe the same thing shows up even at, you know, at school level, right? And into colleges where the folks that are doing the creative stuff quite often, right? They may seem magical to the data scientists and the computer scientists uh, who may seem magical to these other folks. I think it's fascinating what you're saying though, where a big opportunity that's emerging is for us to break down some of these one to bring together groups that traditionally didn't necessarily spend a lot of time together. And and as that happens, it feels like that can only lead to good things in terms of, obviously in terms of outcomes for what you can achieve, but but also in terms of maybe bringing people together, which, you know, you don't think of something like generative AI having this ability to, in a way, forcing groups that may not have always had the strongest connection to come together now. Totally. It was a 
an eye opener for me. I didn't think that I just hadn't gone down that path of like what teams are going to need to work together now in this new world. And even going as far as some recent research I was doing, there's now groups or um, roles called content science or content scientists. So that's already starting to kind of morph into another type of skill set and using left brain, right brain. So that's really interesting also and something that I think is going to be more valuable as we start to think about um, Gen AI for brands and content. How fascinating. Fortunately, we're going to have to start wrapping this up. Uh, But in terms of If there's one piece of advice you would have, especially for content professionals, could also be for business folks, but in terms of, are there things like, oh man, I wish I'd known that earlier, or there's certain things that you feel that could have been very valuable, is there any advice that you would give for people that might have an interest but haven't yet started in this space? Identify what you're good at and identify kind of what you have passion for when it comes to content, because like I mentioned, there's like a lot of technical things you could do. Do you like to work in spreadsheets? Do you like to think about patterns and cracking different codes of of content and setting up templates for content? Or are you a little more on the creative and strategic side and you want to think about setting a North Star or a vision or coming up with ideas or headlines? You know, start in one of those areas. And then I think for me, the other thing that I wish I would have known earlier is I felt like since I did graduate from a business school that I was going down a path that was away from creativity. So inherently, you know, I didn't have the degree that I saw other colleagues have. I didn't have a portfolio to go get my first copywriting job. I had to work at that. But, and I felt like it was a limitation for a while. I thought, oh, I've made a mistake. I should have gone into a creative major if that's what I want to do. But as I progressed, I found out the opposite is true. Actually, I feel like I have a really solid foundation in solutioning, problem solving, you know, understanding what the real business issue is, and then you can solve it creatively. So if you, it's okay that you're not officially trained as a designer or as a writer or, you know, what have you in the creative field. I think those barriers are starting to come down a little bit more. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for business students to move in a lot of different creative fields that maybe felt a little bit more niche once upon a time. So identify kind of what you what your passion is, what you're good at, if it is something in the, the content realm. And then just talk to a lot of different people too. Talk to different people in different types of careers and understand what it is that they do day to day, because that will be the thing that helps you the quickest kind of understand maybe where you want to start and where you want to move to. What, what a great message. What a great piece of advice. All right. Thank you. This has been Amanda Hurt, uh, who's an IX content guru on, um, uh, within the IBM consulting business. I appreciate Thank you so much for spending the time with us today, for sharing your great insights um, as, as you work in this rapidly emerging coalface. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're really ch- charting new territory and even to you know things like the content scientist, et cetera, what, what fascinating to hear about new roles emerging. So Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the Business School Podcast. My name's Daryl Pereira. Um, tune in, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we cover emerging topics in business. So I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you. Mm-hmm.